0: I love Philly. Anybody else? Does anyone else love Philly yet? Anybody? All right, good. Good. We're getting there. We're getting there. This whole series has been about this man named Paul and about his favorite city. We read through the New Testament. We run into Paul, and then we run into all these different letters that he wrote to different churches that he started. So he traveled around, he planted all these churches, and he'd write them letters and he'd send them to them, and they would be to, to correct certain things, to encourage certain things, to remind them of certain things. Um, but when we read this, this book of Philippians, it kind of comes at a different, a different angle, because when we read it, we see the fact that Paul is a special place when it comes to the Philippians in his heart. He kind of has a soft spot for them. When we read it, we we see it kind of right away, right away in Philippians 1, 7 through 8. This is what Paul says as he starts his letter to this church. He says, So it's right that I should feel as I do about you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. And we see Paul, this was like, a favorite city. Later he talks about how the Philippians were the ones that they helped him in a time of need that no other churches would, but the, the Philippian church did, the people of Philippi. And I just think, man, Paul, he probably just, man, he probably loved Philippi. I think as well, if you're just hanging out with your, you know, your homies, you're not going to be always saying the full He's like, I love Philly. You know, maybe that Paul said that to like Timothy one night, right? Like, man, I just love, I love Philly. So for our conversation, Philly means the city of Philippi, the book of Philippians is what we're talking about. My goal was that we were going to look at each chapter. We did chapter one, two, three, four, each week, looking at this wisdom that he sends his favorite city. And my hope is that we would fall in love with it too. And I have, again, I love Philippians. I have in the past. It was one of the reasons why this caught me. But I think I've I've fallen deeper in love with this, with this book. So as you might know, if you know me, I'm Cameron. Hi, if you haven't met me. Um, My life is actually pretty, uh, pretty hectic, pretty, uh, pretty crazy. For you guys who know me, a lot of people like last night were like laughing at me because it's finishing up Hope Week and they're like, yeah, they know. Um, So I I lead our church, I lead X Church uh, as far as vision and direction and and I do um, the majority of the teaching at, at X Church. Luckily, I'm blessed to have another teaching pastor who's able to teach another third of the messages out of the year. Thank the Lord or I probably would completely lose my mind. Um, but I teach a majority of the messages here, Uh, but then what some people don't know is the fact that actually then I still have a a full-time job between 30 and 40 hours a week. I work at our family business, and I'm an engine machinist by trade. I rebuild engines, work with my hands every day. And um, and that's interesting, too, with the whole dynamic of a family business because it means you don't just punch in and punch out. You're responsible for what's there. So it means if there's work that has to be done, you have to end up staying late. And, and it makes for an interesting dynamic when we, when we pair it with the fact of doing big things as a church because our church isn't one that just we just show up on Sunday morning and say, see you next Sunday. We always have stuff that we're doing. Things like Hope Week that come up that are crazy, like this last week. Man, it was amazing, all the stuff we did. But I was pretty much off work the entire week, so I had to come in in random spurts to try to finish jobs in between other stuff. I was showed up one day at like 1 o'clock in the afternoon and worked till 1 in the morning to finish stuff to get it out the door so then the next morning I can come and do stuff for Hope Week. And, and it can get hectic where you're just kind of running from, from one thing to another. I'm also a volunteer firefighter in Troy Grove, which some of you might not know. I also help fight fires when I'm not doing other things because I don't have enough uh, things to fill my plate. And as well... As well, um, I'm actually uh, continually uh, fixing up our house. We're just finishing up a, uh, a remodel in our house right now in our, in our dining room. Last summer was our living room. So on top of that, is I try to fix up our old house and take care of it as well. You can ask Amy about the dining room project from this year. Don't ask her about the kitchen project from last year. It's a sore moment. Got it done just in time to save the marriage. So if you, um, you want to ask her, ask her about the dining room dining room, not kitchen, okay? Kitchen, that was tender. Um, but we got that finished as well. But, but my, my life can get pretty hectic with all the different stuff that I do. There's a lot of different things that I end up doing within a week, within a month. Um, and and what, can, what can happen is um, I love everything that I do. Everything that I do, I, I enjoy. I don't begrudgingly do the different things I do. Sometimes people will say, oh, you do too much. And I say, no, I, I don't because I love everything that I do but what is true is the fact that if I'm not careful the the hecticness and the the strain of all the things can begin to overshadow the joy of the individual projects I have all these different things that I love to do but but if I don't keep track of it what can happen is just the general stress of everything the general worry of everything can begin to overshadow the joy of the individual things that I'm doing some of you guys are probably a lot like me. At least in some extent, you think, yes, I am stressed, I am worried, right? Because our schedules have gotten a little more hectic in the past years. It seems like we're not progressing. You know, all those old things they always talked about, like, back in, like, the 40s and 50s, they're like, sooner or later, people will be working a 15-hour work week, right? <laughs> like, lies! We progressively push deeper and deeper into this, don't we? For many of us, 40 hours is not a work week. 40 hours is, like, halfway through work week, right? Um, we work many extra hours. You put in the fact of a commute time before or after, all of a sudden that 40-hour week, work, week, work week turns into more like a 60-hour work week by the time we get finished with it. Um, we, we end up using a whole bunch of time and we can feel like we're just burning through all of this time in our life. And we take that and we pair it with, with the idea of, of, uh, of kids that we have in our life, these little monsters that just suck all of our time. I don't have any yet, so I can talk about them. It's terrific. Um, Laughter. But I do have a niece, and I can tell you from experience that when she comes around, productivity screeches to a halt. If she comes to our shop for the day with my sister, if my sister brings her, everything just stops. Nothing gets done because she's too cute to turn away from and go work on a cylinder head. I don't want to. I want to spend time with her. I know you guys, some people who are like moms are like, literally a day can disappear. Like, gone, right? Because you're just going from one thing to another with a kid, and it's like, wow, it's just... All this attention. Some of you guys are in school, younger people. Maybe you're out of school right now, obviously. But let me tell you, it's coming fast. It was just disappeared, and it's coming back. And, and the school strain can be a lot, man. If you're, if you're a student, um, there is a lot of stuff that's put on you. It seems like every year they add more and more and more to what we're trying to learn and trying to get kids to understand. And, man, it can get harsh at times where you're like, I don't know if I even have enough time to, like, eat tonight with how much homework they've given me, right? I remember some of those times where you're like, oh, my goodness. You go off to college and that can be the same thing. Some of you guys you're not only already in the workforce, you're going back to college while you're in the workforce, and that adds this whole different dynamic to it, right? Where you're trying to keep a job, but then you're also trying to go and further your education, and it's like, yeah, so somewhere in between, like, I have to cut out bathing or sleeping or something because I got to fit all of this into my schedule while still being a mom or dad or whatever it is. Uh, And then sports, man, sports. If you have kids who are in sports, they have the same schedule as pro athletes. Did you know that? (laughs) practically, they are everywhere all the time. The amount that kids play, if they play sports, it is amazing how much time is devoted. If they play, you know, soccer, or if they play baseball, if they play basketball or football, it is amazing. But what can happen is, like me, same situation, we kind of get in the same boat. We love all those different things most of the time. And we love the different things we do. Maybe, maybe we're dissatisfied, say, something in our job or maybe some situations. But for the most part, it's not like we hate all that stuff. But just the continuation of all of it from moment to moment to moment can become so hectic that the stress begins to overshadow all the, all the good times. And it just feels like this kind of oppressive getting through today just to get to tomorrow. If I can just get through today, then I can make it to tomorrow. Well, what happens tomorrow? The same thing that happened today. Okay. Well, then if I can get through that day, then I'll get to tomorrow. And What happens the next day? Well, the same thing that happened today. But then if I get through a couple more of those, then I have Saturday and I have a half day that day. So i actually get a few minutes to be able to sit down, right? And we can get to this place where that's how we're living, kind of surviving day by day by day. If I can finish out today, if I can get enough done to be able to go to sleep and start over tomorrow. There's a bunch of terms that kind of come around with this. You know, you'll see them on social media and stuff, like, you know, the struggle is real. The one that I use that I actually really like is it's kind of an old term that kind of got morphed than they always used to call going to work, back to the grind. And it kind of came back in our social networks where now people talk about grinding, where they're like, just grind. If you take, if you hashtag, if you search on Facebook or Instagram, hashtag grind or hashtag rise and grind, that's a really common one. Instead of rise and shine, rise and grind. You'll see just millions, millions of posts. Grind had like five million posts the last time I searched it, of everyone putting that in regards to just getting through the day, just pushing through it. It has that connotation, the fact of what is grinding like. It's literally like putting pressure and friction against something until it changes, right? And that's how people can feel with their days. Like it's just the grind. If I can just make it through this week, if I can hustle enough, I can grind away enough that I can accomplish it by the end of the week. And that's how it can feel, that we're just working through our grind, living life instead of enjoying it, surviving it. That's a scary place that we find ourselves. And I think as Paul's finishing up the Philippians, the, the book of Philippians, to his, to his friends here. He says something. He kind of goes to this last chapter. And what most people would call this when you look at what they give for titles in the Bible, they call it words of encouragement. I think it's great. He's kind of finishing up with the Philippians, and he wants to give them this word of encouragement. And I hope it's a word of encouragement for us today, too. Because I think it's it's so applicable as we connect this to us. So read with me if you want to read up here, if you have a Bible with you. We're going to read Philippians 4, 4 through 5. Here's what Paul says, words of encouragement to his friends in Philippi. He says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Now, if I'm to take these two verses, I would think all of us agree we would like to be this person, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we like to be the person who we say we are always full of joy and everyone thinks we're considerate? Wouldn't that just be a great life? Like if I think like that would that would be perfect. If I could say, if, like, if I could be something, I would like to be that. Always full of joy. Everybody says he's considerate. That's a great way to live, right? And Paul says this to him. He, he, he shares this with them, but I know immediately what I feel, and I'm sure what the Philippians feel is, that yeah, this sounds great, but I don't got room for that in my day, right? I don't got time for joy. I do not have time to be considerate to everyone, right? I have so much to get done, I can't possibly add another thing into this. He says, be joyful always, and you think, yeah, it sounds good. I don't have time to do another thing, Paul. I don't have time to accomplish something else. I don't have time to add another list. It's too long as it is. I believe that Paul isn't mean giving us another thing. I believe that as we progress through this, he's going to show us something of how we can turn something down and we can turn something else up. It's interesting. He says this, as he's talking about. It. He says, "Be full of the joy, all, of, be full of, of joy always, and that everyone would see that you're considerate. I love that term "considerate." Considerate means that you, you have care, that you have concern. And most of us are like, "I would love to have care and concern for people. I just don't have time, right? I don't have time to be caring and considerate." Most of us would say this. This sounds great, but it sounds like more work. And the last thing I need is more work. I need a day off. I need a day off. I would love a day where I could just wake up and have no responsibilities, right? You say, I don't want another thing to do. I was hoping for one of those days where I wake up and I have nothing. And then for lunch and after lunch, I do nothing. And then in the evening, I do nothing, I would love a day in which I accomplish nothing from start to finish, in which I don't make any progress, in which I can just not have anything to worry about for a day, right? I would love that, right? That's, that's me. I'm hoping like if I can make some moments in the next day, I would love it. Because after Hope Week, of all the different worries, you just think, I just want a day of nothing, nothing, just to, just to relax. And relaxation is great. The Lord talks about that in the Bible. And God talks about how we're supposed to take Sabbath, a day where we unplug just as God did. And that's kind of a different message for a different day because that's true. Rest is really, really great. But here is the problem. Rest wears off really fast. You might say, I just need a day off, but let me be real with you. You'll take that day off and you'll have that rest, but it'll be about enough to last you maybe halfway through Monday. And then all of a sudden, the grind. The grind. That day of rest is great, right? We said, I just need a day off. I just need a moment to unplug. And that's great, and it might help kind of reset us. But by about day two in our week, all of a sudden, we're not feeling rested anymore, are we? We're right back into that same feeling of the grind. I need to push through this. I need to accomplish this. I need to fight through it. We need something bigger than just a break. What we need is something that walks with us through our hard days. Something that replenishes from inside of us and keeps rehabilitating us as we walk through hard days. Something that doesn't change despite the fact that our circumstances might where we walk into hard times. What we need is peace. Peace is different than rest. Peace is a a tranquility deep down in the soul. Peace is a harmony that resides inside of us. It's a contentment and an understanding and a feeling where all the worry kind of strips away. It's a a, a place of feeling as though despite your circumstances, you're going to be okay. Peace. Peace. Peace is what we need. It doesn't change in our busyness. It accompanies us in our stress. It can't be worn out and it doesn't wear off. The main point I need you to grab today and I'm going to fight back to it so you can hear it a couple times is this. Rest can come from doing nothing, but peace comes from doing the right thing. Rest, that can come from doing nothing. From making a day, making an afternoon, to do nothing, and you can get rest. But you can't find peace that way. Peace comes from doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. This is what Paul continues on as he's talking to the Philippians. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Here's what he says as he continues out this thought, okay? Talking about it. What does it look like? What does this peace mean as we connect with it? So verses 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything, he says. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. He's talking about peace, how we can get to it. I love it. He says, God's peace, man, God's peace, it exceeds all understanding. Whatever situation you're in, it doesn't even make sense that you could be peaceful when you have it. A terrible situation, yet you can walk through it. I love it. He says that it protects your hearts and your minds. Oh, that's good. That's good. We have to realize that peace, we can't create peace, not on our own. Peace has to be given to us by someone who's much more powerful than us. As an example, right here today as we sit in our nation, we are at peace, but none of us are the ones who are doing it right now, are we? We have peace because there is a massive force of military that says, our nation is at peace. And we say, okay, yes, we're at peace because of this massive force that's standing there keeping back anything that would steal that peace. And that's what he's saying. He says, this is God's peace. You don't create this. It's gifted to you from God that he's much stronger and he's the one who issues this warrant of peace. But how can we get it? I think it's great. This is what he says. Verse six, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. I like that. Worry. Man, worry is a sickness that we are filled with in our society, isn't it? Man, it is like a cancer that just, it eats us alive. Real quick, let's just be honest, right? Who here struggles with worry? I mean, who worries, right? You worry and you worry and you worry. Worry comes when we believe that we are 100% responsible for what's going to happen next. You see, worry comes when we think we're the one who's in control of everything that comes next. And that we need to figure out all the little details and we need to control all the little things that are going to happen. And we worry and worry and worry because we're not sure about what's going to happen and we think I'm the one who's responsible for it. This is what Jesus said back in Matthew 6, 26 through 30. He's talking to the disciples, and trying to show them what it looks like to walk through their relationship with God. And it's perfectly applicable to what we're talking about here. Listen to this. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? The answer to that question would be yes. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And the answer to that question would be No. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon, who was like this super rich king in the Old Testament, in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? You see, we worry when we believe we're 100% responsible. But Jesus says when you're walking in relationship with me, when you're walking in relationship with God, you're talking about someone who cares about you so much that of course you don't need to worry because you believe that he's walking through life with you that you aren't 100% responsible for what happens next, that there is this great God who cares about you more than all the sparrows who are flying around, more than all these things, that he's concerned about what happens next in your life, and he's part of the equation. Yeah, we might have a grind. We might have a grind that we go through in our life, but you know what? We don't grind alone. That's what he's saying. He says, yeah, there might be a grind, there might be a day-to-day, But the key point i got to have you get is is you don't grind alone. Jesus says he's with you. God said he's with you, that he's concerned about you, that he cares, and that he's willing to help in these details. Listen to me. Work, work is good. Work is good. Don't hear me thinking like when I say like, oh, God's in it. So just hands off, right? Awesome. God will take care of it. Well, that's not the case. Work is really, really good. And we're responsible to give our best to what we're called to. Whatever your profession is, if you're a mom or you're a dad, whatever God's gifted you with, you are called to give your 100% to that. To do your very best where you work, in the relationships you have, whatever you have, you're called to work hard for that. But let me tell you a secret here, okay? Worry isn't work. Worry isn't work. We're responsible for the work, But we're not responsible to worry about the outcomes. You see, most of the time when we're worrying, we're worrying about stuff we have no control over. Zero. We do our work and then we start worrying about stuff like how people will interpret our work or how our boss will respond to our work or what will happen after this work happens here. And we're worrying about things that we can't even do. We can't touch it. We can't change it. All we can do is do our work. And then we waste energy worrying about the reaction. You need to consciously think about this. I had a a guy tell me um, years ago as I was getting ready to, to plant X Church, and I thought it was so great, he said, listen, if I can share one thing with you, it's this. Work hard, but realize that you're not responsible for the outcome. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, all you're responsible for is your hard work. God is responsible for the outcome. He said, because if you think that you're the one responsible for the outcome, if stuff goes bad, you're going to think you're a failure. And if stuff goes good, even worse, you're going to think that you really have it all together. He said, all you're responsible for is to do your work. And then you take your hands off of it and you say, God, you're responsible for the outcome. I believe that you're working in this. I'm not doing 100% of the work. I'm doing my work that you called me to do. And I believe that you're working in this. Paul says we need to consciously think about how we're reacting to our days, how we're going through it. I love he says this. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. You know what that is? That's saying this. Jesus is part of this, and he's done it before. It's changing our mindset that as we come up to something, he says, tell God what you need. And you say, you know what? Jesus is part of this that I'm trying to accomplish. Jesus is part of my life, part of my grind working through this. And then we immediately say, and I remember the times that you've been faithful to me in the past. And it changes our heart because we realize I've seen God do greater things than this before. Why am I possibly doubting that he wouldn't do it today? Why am I doubting? God is in it. He's done it before. Then, it says, then, Paul says, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. See, this peace, it walks through us through the hardest times, through the toughest times, through times that make no sense, that people would look at us and say, how can you possibly be calm? And you say, I have peace that transcends all understanding. I didn't create it. But I realize that I'm not responsible for 100% of this job. That I'm not responsible for the outcome. I did my best. Now God's responsible for what comes next. Rest. Rest can come from doing nothing. But peace comes from doing those right things. Changing those mindsets in us. Initiating that in our life. And not adding something new. Like I said, what you need to do is turn down the worry, turn up the prayer. You don't need to add more. You just need to replace, right? Less worry, more prayer, more sharing with God, telling him what I need, thanking him for what he's done. So first, we need to realize that we don't grind alone. Second, Paul kind of gives this bonus on the backside of this, and and, and I think it ties in perfectly. I was saying, this is what's crazy, right? As I read this next little piece that I'm going to share with you, I believe it's more applicable today than it was when it was written 2,000 years ago to the Philippians. How amazing is that? I believe that what we're going to read next has even easier application to our lives than it did to the Philippians when he wrote it, okay? He says, first of all, realize that we don't grind alone. Second of all, when we're talking about doing the right things. You need to think and do the right things. And he says this in Philippians 4, 8 through 9. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and honorable and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. He says this. He he gives this list, and he says, if we do these, then the God of peace will be with you. That's what we want, right? We want the God of peace working in our lives, walking with us through these situations, and he says, well, what would possibly negate it? What would, what would separate that from you? What would, what would draw you away? Because the reality is, is, when we're talking about this, God doesn't move. God doesn't move away from you. We, we stop realizing he's there. We stop talking to him, and we wander away from him. He's faithful. We're the ones who have the problem. We're the ones who get distracted. And he says, what distracts us? And he says, when your mind is on things that are not peaceful... When your mind is on things that aren't filled with peace, ask yourself for a second are you reading, watching, and listening to things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise? He says if you're going to fill your mind with something, this needs to be your list. If it doesn't fit into these these statements, it's not something you need. That's actually going to negate the peace in your life. It's going to draw your mind farther away from God. We need to get our minds off these things. Can I be really, really honest with you? I'm going to offend some of you. Maybe. Maybe not. Most of you aren't as busy as you think you are. I'm not saying... I'm busier than you. I'm not trying to compare you to someone else. I'm not saying that what you do isn't important. I'm saying this, listen again, most of you are less busy than you think you are. You see, what we do in our society, even more now, and that's why I said, man, this is hyper applicable to our current society. Anytime God gifts us with one little moment of solitude and peace, we flood it with a multitude of things that do not fall into this list. We get a moment and we get a break and what do we do? We jump on, we watch some dumb sitcom on TV. We binge watch a whole bunch of episodes on Netflix instead of doing something productive with a night of relaxation we have. We immediately jump on our phones and we look at Twitter and we look at Instagram and we look at Facebook and are annoyed by the same people who have annoyed us for the last two years on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. We talk to people who constantly are, are bringing us down, who are those nagging people who we continue to let talk into our lives that should not have any place to talk into our lives. I'm telling you, most of you aren't as busy as you think you are. The problem is in our society right now is we're flooding every last minute with things that don't fit into this list. And we're, we're negating the peace that God is actually gifting us in our life with. We're pulling it away because we feel like, I never even had a minute. Well, you did have minutes, but you filled them with things that weren't on this list. You know they're saying right now on average? On average, I know. On average in the United States right now, people are spending close to eight hours a day on social media. Isn't that insane? That's the average. I know some of you are like, there's no way. Some of you guys, that just scared you a little bit because you're like, check it for half an hour in the morning, check it for half an hour at lunch, check it for an hour in the evening, maybe check it again after I watch some TV. I'm getting there. Scary, Right? Some of you need to change where your mind is at. You need to change what you're listening to. Here's just like super applicable, real, like can I just, like extra. This isn't like written in the message, not in the Bible. I just want to give you something. Can I just gift you something, okay, just today? Stop waking up and immediately grabbing your phone to check the dumb notifications on it. So many of you, you start the very first second of your day with stress with worry let me go through my emails let me see this oh i gotta deal with this oh i gotta deal with this oh that's junk mail mail. or you jump right on facebook and oh that person annoys me and that person is this and this is this or this is or you go right if maybe you go right to the tv you turn on the news and right away it's like of course the world's burning and you're you're screaming (laughs) right away right the first thing you do is just inject stress into your life and worry right away and you wonder why the whole rest of your day is like that right what if you get up and you just decide, I'm going to decide that I'm going to get up and I'm going to first, the first media I consume in the morning is going to be this media, God's word. I'm telling you, it could change the rest of your day because you start yourself off in a moment of peace, of realizing that I don't walk through this day alone. Maybe it's even just a little bit. Maybe it's a subchapter that you read. But you get your mind focused on the right thing. I think it's great. Paul continues this in verse 9. He says, Basically, if I can sum it all down, he says, keep putting into practice all you learn and receive from me. He basically says, do the stuff you know to do. That's what he's saying. You guys know this stuff. I mean, I could keep preaching and telling you a bunch of different things, but you already know as I'm talking to you about this stuff, the stuff that you need to cut out of your life, don't you? You know the people, you know the situations, you know this stuff that you're filling in your life. When I just talked about that, about starting your day, you know that that's what you need, don't you? You feel it right away. You're like, yes. Yes. That's what I need to do. But we don't do it. That's what he's saying. He says, actually do the things that you know you're supposed to do. Let me tell you, five or ten minutes earlier every morning, waking up, to spend just a few minutes in God's word, you will see return on investment. That is insane. Insane return on investment. I'm telling you, I know it sounds like just the crazy pastor thing that every pastor tells you, right? You need to read your Bible, right? From my own life, time and time again, when I get in seasons that I realize that my heart is, is, is wandering and not as passionate as it was, and, and I feel like my mind is turned, and I'm worrying and concerned. You know what I always do is I go back and vet and look, and I'm like, I've been skipping my Bible times for the last few weeks. I've been skipping my Bible time for the last things. I've been reading and studying God's Word to teach it, but I haven't spent enough time sitting down and just reading it for me to consume. And I realize and go, yep, that's what it is. I start waking up in the mornings and I immediately pour, pour yourself a cup of coffee first, though. That's important. <laughs> you sit down and you read the media of God's Word first, but you get yourself a cup of coffee, use the restroom so you can focus. I'll just say that. That's true. But I go back and I pour myself a cup of coffee and I start reading every morning, and all of a sudden that rhythm is put back in my heart. That peace is put back in my heart, which transcends all understanding that I start my day by, by, by rooting myself in the fact that, hey, wait a second. I'm not the one who's 100% responsible for this. Jesus said that he loves me, that he cares for me. God says that, that he's a good father who gives good gifts to his kids. Why am I so concerned about this? Well, I realize the fact that, yeah, I have a lot of stuff to do. I can tell you, like this next week coming into it, Hope Week was easy because Hope Week was exciting every day. But you know what isn't? Going back to work tomorrow morning for me. Because it's back to the grind. I have cylinder heads to finish at work. I have engines that need to be put together. I have stuff that I have to fill out and make sure that I understand the the back end of Hope Week, which isn't nearly as fun, right? How many people serve and all this. And and it can feel like a grind. But I remind myself that I don't grind alone. I don't walk through this grind alone. I have a God who loves me who's walking through it with me. And I can be strong and courageous as I walk into it. Listen. Listen. I want to take a nap this afternoon. (laughs) Legit, right? Rest can come from doing nothing. But if I want peace that sustains me through this next week, me taking a nap isn't going to handle that. I have to do the right things in order to gain peace. I have to put my mind in the right place. I have to immediately, when the worry starts to come, cut it off, turn it down, say, God, this is what I need. Thank you for doing it before in the past. And you need to put into practice those things I know I need to do. That's what's going to create peace in my heart. That's what's going to create peace in your heart. Some of you, you need to change your strategy. You've been worrying far too much, thinking that you're the one in control of all of this, and you need to turn down the worry and turn up the prayer. Others of you, you need to stop listening to, watching, focusing on, ingesting things that just distract you from peace. Again, the list. True, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise. That that should be our focus in our mind. And some of you, you just need to do what you know you need to do. You already know what it is. Before you leave today, maybe you should write it down. You should, you should make a point and you should say, I'm actually going to do this. I know I need to do it. I'm going to actually do it. Maybe you even turn to the person who's next to you. Maybe they're your husband or wife or they're a friend or whoever it is. And you ask them, hey, in a week or two, will you ask me if I'm still doing this? I know I need to do this, but I have a tendency to not do this. And I need you to ask me in a week, are you still doing this? And I'll give you some sort of bull excuse. And then you tell me, no, that's bull. Do it again. And I'll go, you're right and I'll start back over. That's what some of you guys need to do today. Take that next step. What would our life look like if we do this? Paul ends it perfectly. The last verse we're going to read here, Philippians four ten through 13. Paul talking about the church in Philippi and himself. What could our lives look like if we make this true in our own lives? Here's what he says. How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know that you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. We apply this in our life. You can learn the secret. Don't all of us want a secret? Don't you want that secret? What's the secret to be able to accomplish this? Here it is. Paul says it. He says, you do this stuff. You apply this to your life. You cut the worry. You turn up the prayer. Then you start doing these things. Put your minds on the right thing. That's the secret. You walk through your days and you have confidence and you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You start putting this in your life, you're going to start walking into your grind and people are going to start noticing it. And they're going to ask you, hey, hey, how are you so calm? What's your secret? And when they do, just to mess with them, just say, oh, I don't grind alone. <laughs> and just, just leave it for a minute, right? Just leave it. Don't, don't, to, just, just don't I, I don't grind alone. That's my secret. I, I don't grind alone. And they'll be like, wait, 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 what? And when they ask you what, then you run it back and you say, listen, I believe that I have a God who loves me so much that he helps in regards to this. I don't grind alone. That's why I don't worry because I don't think I'm the one who's 100% responsible for this. God's working in my life. I do my best. He's responsible for the results. And you watch as that doesn't shock people around you. You watch. Let me pray for you before we leave. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you, God, that, that, Lord, you led Paul to write these words thousands of years ago, and they are crystal clear applicable to our lives today, God. I thank you so much for that. I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to begin to walk this out, Lord, that tomorrow is a really good opportunity for a lot of us. A lot of us tomorrow are going back to work, or maybe it's sometime this week, or maybe it's tonight for some people who work a different shift, but we're getting ready to step back into a grind, Lord. And I pray that as we do, that you would give us this reminder that we do not grind alone, that as we walk, we walk with you, that you're here with us, that we're not the one who are 100% responsible for what happens next, God. I just thank you so much for that. I pray that you would lead people's minds off of things that distract onto things that fall into this list that you specified for us. I ask God that you would help us to take that next step to put into practice what we know we need to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.